Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Brian Brenner. Brian is a fascinating guy, as you're about to discover, with a wealth of experience after 25 years in the business and going to dive into that and get so much insight and advice. So really looking forward to it. But firstly, Brian, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Ben. Thrilled to be here. And you're in Indianapolis. How's life there at the moment? I am right at this moment here. It's great. We're having snow. We uh, had a 74 degree day last Thursday, unseasonably warm, and then it snowed two inches on Saturday. So we're <laughs> we're adjusting, shall I say? Yes. I love it. Well, yeah. I'm an Aussie living in Ireland, so I'm used to versatile weather, but that's bizarre. It's bizarre, yes. Yeah, very good. So Brian, as I said in the intro there, you've got a fascinating story. So for people listening, after 25 years as an entrepreneur, Brian led his company, First Person Advisors, along with his executive team, into a strategic acquisition by their long-term partner, NFP. And so now Brian is the managing director of NFP Indiana. And there's various components to the business. But yeah, Brian, can we take it back to the beginning and tell us about the formation of the business and then the journey within that? We'll get to the the acquisition side and what the business does. But why did you start it and how did the business evolve and what does it actually do now? Absolutely. Yeah. I've often called myself Ben the accidental entrepreneur. You know, went to college to become a journalist and I never did. I went into a marketing job, which turned out to be in the insurance business. And that ended up you know, leading me to start my company at 24. My father-in-law gave me a loan at Prime Plus One. That's kind of the family deal. If you need a dishwasher, it's Prime Plus One. If you want to buy a business, it's Prime Plus One, which, you know, isn't so bad. So the reason I started the business was I had become a consultant in a short period of time, early career, client-facing after having just been in-house a little while. And salespeople loved taking me on calls. I kind of was able to help answer technical questions, kind of help seal the deal, give them confidence. And then I started to think, you know, if I can do this for them, maybe I can do this for myself. I saw what was going on in the market with brokers and advisors, and this was 25 years ago. It wasn't terribly impressive. You know, they got paid quite a bit of money for not a lot of delivery. I had a communications bent, and I thought, you know, what I really see missing is employers spend a lot of money on making decisions and around benefit structures and offerings and perks and amenities around the decision-making table, but then they tend to not put a lot of thought into how it came through to the employees, the ultimate, you know, beneficiaries. And so I thought, well, if we could improve that and create a niche there, you know, we could really make a difference. And we have, we've done that for 25 years. We have an in-house marketing communications team that takes all the good things that our consultants do with our clients and make sure that it really packs a punch at the employee level. And that's of course, more important than ever right now in the current world. Absolutely. So it's been a good run. It's been wonderful. We've accumulated a lot of amazing relationships and experiences. And now we're thrilled to be part of NFP, as you suggest. Yeah. Oh, and we'll get to that in a minute. But look, I have to go back for a second, because how on earth do you ask your father-in-law for a loan? Because as I said, I'm in Ireland and the big band from this part of the world is U2. And I remember hearing that they, each of them went to their parents and said, we need a loan of a thousand pounds to get our first record deal. But you went to your father-in-law. That's a lot more difficult. Yeah. Well, I, you know, they obviously had a plan for success. I didn't, but I did have the relationship with him. And actually he was in the insurance business 
kind of the old school version of did kind of one man band, lots of everything, had to like a part-time assistant. And he kind of wanted me to take over the family business. And I thought, well, I just don't know what there is to take over. I like this business. I think this could be good. So, you know, he did me a kind favor and allowed me to start my own business. I was housed with him. I learned a lot. He gave me a lot of connections and relationships. So I really had the benefit of a good start in that way and a mentor as much as anything. And he does kind of like to be owed money. So I think he kind of liked it. (laughs) String the payments out as long as possible. I finally said, dad, we got to pay this off. Okay. (laughs) Finally agreed. It it worked out. It It worked well for everybody. He's 90 years old. He still comes into the office sometimes. He knows what's going on. He has a sense of pulse on the business and that's been wonderful. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. And as a side note for people listening to this, I've spoken with many business leaders and consultants launching and so on. Some of them are scared to contact friends and family for that, not necessarily money, but for reaching out to contacts. They kind of think that I need to start this on my own and not bother with them or lean on them too much. But the ones I've seen who really succeeded, they know that the referrals and that kind of things really kickstarts a new business and go for it, you know, make those connections, use them. You'd be crazy not to. Is that fair enough? I completely agree. I do understand sometimes the reticence for that. It can feel, you know, imposing or whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, most people want to help. They want to see their own imprint on success and something that works well with somebody they like. So I think you're almost doing them a disservice by not giving them an opportunity to engage. I will say early on, I became a life insurance salesperson as well as just obviously doing corporate benefits, which was what my ultimate destination and what I had experience in. And I called on every single family and friend and all their families and friends. And it was, you know, sometimes a little bit, I was sheepish or felt, felt, but most of the time it worked really well. I will say one other thing in that regard, Ben, you wouldn't know this unless you did business in Indianapolis and kind of, you know, ran around here for a while, but it's a very helping community. And people are very quick to usher you in. There's no need to have a pedigree or a certain, you know, surname. It's like, just, you know, come in and contribute. And that's been wonderful for me. Yeah, that's really good. That's a nice way to be. So NFP itself and NFP Indiana, what kind of employers would come to you and how do you help them? Yes. NFP globally has businesses of all sizes. We do tend to be a mid-market player, meaning, you know, a few hundred to, you know, mid thousands, 10, 15, 20,000, occasionally bigger, occasionally smaller. Indiana, the way we've chosen to position ourselves and NFP gives us autonomy to continue that is we do have business from startup to multi-thousand and we just have different ways of servicing each of those kind of in segments. Small employers under 50, they don't have an HR person. They want few contacts. They want turnkey. They want things handled. You start to get above that. You get an HR person. You get above that. You've got dedicated teams. So we have very different ways of interacting, but we like all three. And then if I'm right in thinking your business evolved in the service lines that you offered, and I forget how kind of whether it was rewards or, you know, comp and bends, what was the flow and why did you go in that direction? We started in benefits because that's been a challenging environment for employers for these full 25 years. Although we've gone from a hundred dollar single rate to, you know, 1500, which is insane. But it's always been an area where employers needed a lot of strategy support, a lot of you know power and negotiation and putting that all together. We then about seven years ago started our compensation practice because we felt that the small and mid-market employers were going to have to become more sophisticated in their approach to compensation. Less shooting off the hip, you know, less making it up as they go, putting structures in place, having philosophy, having data to support decisions. And boy, were we right, you know, and now states are requiring transparency around it. There's 
a demand for pay equity, of course, appropriately. So our clients who took us up on that have been well positioned for the current market. And then of course we meet clients every day who don't have a strategy and they need us to help them get that in place. We then started really last three years ago, we started pulling those two together and presenting ourselves as total rewards minded people. So helping with the strategy around all of rewards, and then also delivering that down to the employee in a more holistic fashion versus silos. So we've found good value. And then of course, you know, in the middle of the work, they're very separate, like comp works differently. The benefits works differently from perks. So that's been a good, I think the market's given us good marks on that. And then the other business we have is the performance lab. It's really been more just my personal passions and the work I like to do. Yeah. I'll ask about that in a moment, but around the benefits and the reward total compensation side of things, sounds like you've got some great strategic processes and wins for clients there, but you've also got that sort of marketing or employee comms side from your journalistic background, which is fed through into the people you brought into the business and the way you approach it. So it's a nice blend, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. I think it's created good competitive advantage. It's made us more consultants and less brokers. You know, we certainly, we do broker, of course, that's a function that has to happen. But, you know, really showing up as consultants who can understand the business, understand what the executives are trying to accomplish, understand the sentiments of the people, and then pull that all together in ways that improve, you know, lift all boats is sort of my way of operating. Yeah. And the performance lab. So that's a slightly different business. What is that? And what led to the formation of that? Yeah, it fits well because what it does is it appeals to the best leaders within our best clients. So leaders who really want to, do the best they can by their people, maximize and optimize their advantages, hire the best people, be competitive, you know, feel good in that way. It appeals to them. And we want as many of those kind of people as we can have, right? So it's a nice fit. The personal passion for me was I have, as a CEO, former CEO, I did all the things that a CEO does. You try to delegate, get good people around you, operate in your strengths, you know, learn and grow, become a better leader. And I really reached a point where the complexity of the business, I just, I needed more help. I needed a strategy written down. I couldn't just sort of feel my way around. So I hired a consultant who brought me the idea of the performance climate survey, which we now own. He brought me the idea of high performance and what does high performance mean? And most of our philosophy, Ben, operates sort of out of the good to great philosophy or, you know, what really sets apart the best companies. There's There are only a few certain things that really do, and our diagnostic measures those things, gives the executives a sense of where are they winning, where they maybe need to prioritize new initiatives. So it's both celebratory and positive, but it's also looking at how do we use the positives to pull up the negatives and make them better. It's a consulting process. I wouldn't call it management consulting, but kind of. There's a little bit of that to it. Very good. And you mentioned the word own. We own it. So that's the diagnostic Does that mean you acquired it? Yeah, the diagnostic was built for a very large, perhaps one of the world's largest retailers, where they had stores that were very high performing, and then they had stores that were, you know, kind of dogs, like things not Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And they could tell you all the KPIs as to why they categorized one as positive and one as negative, but they couldn't tell you why. And they said, in order to make the not good ones better, we need to have a why, a formula, a framework. So this consulting firm that we purchased it from basically went out and scoured 600 professional articles around, you know, the good to great types of materials that are out there. They whittled that all down to a few, and then they came up with originally 10 drivers, acted down to 10, 
the retailer agreed on those 10. They started implementing it, had success, and the retailer owned it and also the consulting firm owned it. They allowed them to kind of move on and, and use it other places. So it's built on solid research. You know, it's simple. It's 31 questions, 10 drivers, you know, things like colleague well-being, colleague selection, strategic direction. Do I know how my role plays into what we're trying to accomplish? Yeah. Applied metrics. Are we measuring things that make sense or do I think they're making me measure things that aren't logical? Yeah. Right? And I vote for the company in those ways. Got it. Nice framework. But just to be clear, you purchased the IP, not just you purchased a package, but you took over the IP. Is that right? We took over the IP. We continue to keep it alive. We built a technology system to formulate all the results and the segmentation of the data with another partner. But we managed the whole process, the focus groups, the surveys, the prioritization to help the employer pick new strategies. And then ideally, Ben, we want them to put those strategies into their strategic plan because then they have people strategies present within financial strategies, other types of market product strategies. But what are your people strategies formed based on data? And can you measure improvement? Mm. Many companies cannot. I've had plenty of difficult, you know, compensation remuneration conversations with people and you can't backfill some data information policies or planning. You kind of squeeze things to fit. But yeah, as you say, if everything is aligned and you've got your processes, your strategic direction, and then you move on to the benefits, total reward side of things, it just flows a lot nicer. I think for people listening to that, the fact that you've got your own methodology uh, in a whole, well, the IP around that, that's a huge point of difference because there's consulting firms all over the world, but you know they could blend into a, the same vanilla, but you guys are different in that regard. I agree. I think there's sort of two competitors to us, if you will, although we don't really compete. We're really a unique enough solution. We just get picked up by clients through our other consulting. Like they're like, oh, I like that. Tell me more. And we kind of go off and we don't compete. But if we were to compete and we think about where we fit, certainly traditional management consulting firms or, you know, those kinds of things. I come at it from positive organizational design, which is my training, which is the belief that if you can help people see what's working and get happy about that, their frontal cortex turns on, they start solving their own problems. Traditional management consulting comes at it of solving problems, looking for problems, and then people become, you know, I, in my opinion, that's demotivating, demoralizing even, and then people don't make the best decisions, their creativity is not turned on. So first of all, we're different from management consulting in that sense. We're also then juxtaposed to these millions of engagement surveys and technologies that exist, all of which I think have value, but they often don't accomplish what you might hope because there isn't a consulting that comes along with it. It's not, they don't know the business. It's, we're kind of right in the middle of, you know, it's tech, but it's lower tech and it's more human and high touch with focus groups, but it's got that positive org design lens. Absolutely. So that's why it works for these high-end leaders. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. That's what they're trying to do. They want it to be real and they want to learn and grow. They don't just want to follow some process. Very good. Yeah, you gave me a little flashback there when you're talking about how management consultants, they sort of look for problems to then solve. You gave me a little flashback to when I used to have to do safety audits on manufacturing sites as part of the role. And that's so demoralizing for people in the area because it's basically some guy with a clipboard and a high-vis vest turning up and saying, oh, You've got all sorts of things wrong here because I need to fill out my form. Yes. And I need to justify my pay. And exactly. My... Exactly. Obviously, that'll change. And we're looking for positive things to praise or whatever later on. But 
I actually have a very good friend from my master's cohort who was in a, as the zero defect business. She would go into pharmaceutical companies and basically like try to create no room for air. And then she flipped her whole practice to the positive org design and she's the happiest person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way we kind of flipped that in one particular location is they always used to get the crews together and get them to come up with the safety, not standards, I forget what the word was, but get them to set the benchmarks for the teams. And it almost became self-enforcing and, you know, spurring each other on to do a better and better job rather than some big wig in from management telling them off. So yeah, I love that. So 25 years in the business, you've gone through an acquisition, you've gone through the roller coaster, I'm sure. What worked for you in terms of business growth, marketing, customer acquisition, and what didn't? I'm curious to hear what happened over that time. What has changed and what hasn't? Well, what worked, what didn't work? You know, I mean, oh gosh, so many things over time didn't work. I mean, there's a longer list of those than what <laughs> worked. You know, what worked for me was seeking out people I resonate with and not trying to do business with people I didn't, right? In early days, that's hard because you just need business and you don't really even know yet what you what like and don't like, but really listening to my own heart and really what I, the kind of clients I thought that my people would like to work for and want to work hard for. You know, it was important to me that I enjoy my job and it was equally important that my people, you know, have a sense of fulfillment, enjoy their job. I believe there's a lot of power in work, power for good, power for evil. I wanted it to be accretive to their life, to work here versus somewhere else. Mm. And so that became an important lens and always has been and still is. NFP is full of really great people that are entrepreneurial. It's the largest entrepreneurial company you'll find in our space. That hasn't changed. And that's why I selected NFP, that they share the same value around people and how people are treated. From a market segmentation, there was a moment when we had to sell off a book of smaller employers because we wanted to grow our larger employer base and we just were too small to figure out how to do both well. It was a hard moment, but I think it was the right decision. We later picked that back up because we felt actually we could now do more segmentation. We could, we could handle it. And that we wanted, you know, in Indiana, we have a lot of small clients, a lot of small not-for-profits. It's kind of a small, small business town. We have very few mega corporations. And so we felt we needed to pick up startups. We needed to pick up smaller organizations that were important to the fabric of our community. Um, and that's where we became recommitted you know, probably 12 or 13 years ago. In terms of the types of clients, it tends to be closely held businesses. We do a little bit of public work. It tends to be uh, very entrepreneurial, high concentration of professional services, technology, not-for-profits. But then we've got our fair share of, you know, a family that started a manufacturing business and has fifth generation, you know, leading. I love the variety of that. One thing that's been the most fulfilling for me is leading a business and trying to figure that out every day and also helping people lead their businesses every day produced a phenomenal petri dish of learning and i now know that one of my top values is learning and so that's why i love what i do when you said you were sort of came to a fork in the road and you decided to offload a book of business that was the smaller types what kind of percentage of the business was that because that's a big step to get rid of a proportion of the business yeah it's a typical 80 20 rule where it they serious number of clients, but a not a very much revenue. It was probably twenty no, percent no. revenue, but 80% of clients. Wow. And so it was revolutionary. It was very freeing to all of our people. And, and we continued to use that philosophy over time. How do we how do we make the routine routine so we can build new things, have creative energy flow? And our business has done a pretty good job, our leaders of, you know, continuing to try to simplify that and be simplified and keep it sort of buttoned down. 
through process and people strategy and ways of teaming, but then allow the business also to experiment and create new things with that energy. Got it. And speaking of the 80-20 rule, there are lots of different channels in marketing. So customer acquisition, client acquisition, what were the main methods that you got new clients? Do you, sorry, do you call them customers or clients? Clients, typically. What brought in the most clients over, over the years? You know, really, it was me and my relationships and my work in the community. I was able to train a few really high-end producers, but it took years to do that. And they're very effective. They're in the business still, and they're quite incredible at what they do. I was never good at sort of bringing people in fresh and somehow having a system whereby they became good. And so I really failed at that. I never figured that out. I really don't think it's really what I wanted or, you know, really wanted to be good at candidly. And so becoming part of NFP has been good because NFP is good at that. They have teams and systems and processes that are built to help that. And so that's benefiting us. But really, we grew quite large. I remember sitting early career in a session and somebody from a competitor who was, you know, quite a bit advanced over my, where I was in career said that he had like a $6 million book of business. And at this time, my business was probably 2 million. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be better than that. <laughs> it was like a moment of truth where I'm like, well, if he can do that, I can do that. You know, I built a significantly large book of business with a whole lot of leverage to get it done. The wonderful thing now is that I've become part of NFP. I don't have to run the business every day and I'm back at it. So we're growing like a weed and I love it. And all I have to do is take care of people every nice. day. Yeah, that's good. And you're good at it quite clearly. So if it was all down to you, what was it? Pressing the flesh, going to networking events, giving talks, just making calls. How did you do it? I'm not a give a talk person. I yeah. actually am terrified of having to prepare a talk. I love to lead a panel discussion or do things like this that are you know impromptu and casual. Really, it was just every person you meet trying to be curious about them and ask questions and find a way to add value. And I found that when I did, people wanted to reward me. They wanted to refer me. They wanted to do business. I also did a lot in the community. I became a board, a civic leader in the community very early in life because I wanted to. I wanted to do that versus, you know, play golf with people to try to get business. I don't have the patience for golf. I don't find it that interesting. And I really just went that direction. And so I like to get into like an ecosystem and sort of start to figure out how it works. And as I do that, I end up building clientele within that, right? So pair of government organizations. So gov organizations that are not for profit, but aren't governmental, but support sort of how the world works. You know, all those not for profits that sort of get things done in our world. That's a huge ecosystem for me. I spend a lot of time in that. And while you're doing all that, are you not mentioning your business and they just find out about you? Usually they're trying to solve a problem that I know something about and I jump in and become part of it. Yeah, just be helpful. I mean, I really true. It sounds trite, but I, it's really true. Especially in that kind of community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indianapolis is very, you know, it's a very big, small town, really, mm -hmm. essentially. And I think, Ben, some of that style just comes from, you know, I grew up on a farm and we ran the farm. We didn't own it, but we had a lot of, you know, what we in the day called farm hands or, you know, workers that kind of did all, you know, help during the harvest season and things. And the way that my mother and father took care of those folks and fed them and, you know, 10 o'clock at night and things, um, life and work was not separate. It was integrated. And that was seen as good. I grew up believing integration is good. I don't need to separate my life one from another. Now, are there certain boundaries? Of course, and no one would argue those. 
but I wanted an integrated experience. And I have that with my people, my clients, my family, it's all very intertwined and it's been a great life. I couldn't be happier about that. Nice. You grew a, a big business and there was that moment where you met someone else in the industry and he had a $6 million book of business and you were at the two and you thought, I'm curious, there's a lot of talk on the hustle culture and work hard, play hard. And then there's a lot of talk these days about a work-life balance and stuff. Where do you sort of lie on that scale now? And then where were you on that scale back when you were in your early days? You know, we had, we've had, we had four children over time and Elaine, I've been married almost 30 years. I remember three of those babies were in March. One was October, Gracie. And that is busy season for open enrollment and employers. And that was miserable. I could not really do what I wanted to do in order to be, you know, experiencing that new fatherhood, you know, second time as a father supporting Elaine. I mean, I was there, of course, I wasn't you know, off working while she's giving birth, but it was really hard to be present. That was a really hard time. Those early days, it was hard to get everywhere I wanted to go. I think over time, I learned how to put things in my life, roles, people, processes, habits that, that really did support pretty good life balance. I mean, some weeks would be a mess. Others would be amazing. I mean, like I'm a human party was thrown for me for our 25th anniversary a month and a half ago. And my team invited a lot of people to do short videos. And then they showed a few of those. And then I got the rest of them later. And it was an amazing compilation of comments and feedback. It was a little bit embarrassing in some ways, but it was wonderful in others. All of my children had a snippet. Every one of them said, dad was always there. He never missed wow. things. And they would say, I've marveled at his ability to do all that and to be here. And sometimes my employees hear that and they almost don't believe it because they see me on the move. Oh. But what they don't see is that I live my life integrated. So I might be doing family stuff at 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't have to ask anybody off for work. And I don't expect them to ask me for that. They, I want them to do those things. We had an associate join once and she said, this place has the most open calendar I've ever seen. People put that they're in the middle of the day going to a doctor's appointment or <laughs> their kids play or whatever. And nobody has to hide that. And I'm like, I've never even considered why you would hide that. Like what? I think that's awesome. You know? So I, I was so pleased because I did worry over time that maybe I wasn't giving it all I needed to or wanted to. But I, I think I mustered it. I think I mustered it out. I think I got it done. So if I can summarize in my own way, you have quite clearly worked very hard and it's been a success, but you've also got the balance, family, personal life, et cetera. It's just that you blended it in a way that's sustainable. And you talked about your family life, the farm life, that there's a blend and that has enabled you to have this long career. And earlier you were talking about how you still enjoy it. And you, you know, yeah. now with NFP, you, you're back to doing even more of what you love to do. So it's obviously worked out. That's absolutely well stated. I appreciate that. Yeah, your, your comment there, you know, I, when it's harvest season and the crops have to come out, there's a short period of time. It just has to happen. And everybody's got, you got to dig in and you're, of course, you're delivering meals at midnight. And then there's other times where that would be crazy. You're in bed by eight o'clock. That's yeah. life, right? So you, you learn to appreciate what's needed and not fight it, but find ways to make it work well. Got it. Can you tell us about the acquisition itself? How did you decide to sell and you know how did you choose who that was going to be? Yes. Well, I used to take more exception to the word sell than I do now. When I first made the move, the newspaper came out with, you know, first person sold to global giant, blah, blah, blah. And I called the editor. I said, I take issue. You know, <laughs> what I did is I created a strategic acquisition so that we could become what we needed to become. Yeah, fair enough. 
And I mean that that's truly what happened. I, I had was getting my master's at Case Western in positive org design and change management, long winded, but you know, understand what that means. If you're going to be helpful to organizations, it cannot be about you. You must have your own sort of, you know, world aligned. And so there was a great deal of executive journey in that program. I had to write a vision for myself 10 years out. And when I wrote that down, Ben, I had four areas, me, my family, my clients, my people. As I wrote down what I wanted in all four quadrants, the veil fell off my eyes and I realized I could make that happen more expeditiously with a better likelihood of success, becoming part of something larger. I did not need to be a CEO. I did not need to be an owner in order to be happy. I needed those things to happen. And so it really became kind of an, I don't want to say easy because, you know, obviously going through acquisition and whatnot, it's a massive endeavor, but it was easy to stay committed to it and focus on the positives because I knew exactly why I was doing it and it was the right thing and deliberate. In the tech world, this happens all the time. If they want to grow and help people around the world, then they take on funding. So this, yeah, see what you mean by strategic acquisition. So to wrap up then, what would be your advice to other advisory consulting firms on how they can grow, acquire more clients or customers, however that's phrased for them? Yeah, what's your advice on how to grow and develop a successful business? Yeah, you know, I think to me, it's a balance between asking your customers a lot of good, curious questions to get at what they're trying to do, what they really care about, what they need to solve. But it's also recognizing that if they knew what they should do, they would have already done it. And so it's respecting what they bring to the table and that they can answer their own questions, but also being willing to really say what you think and genuinely, you know, put yourself on the line at risk of saying, I think this is maybe where I might go if it were me, right? And Helping them along with that, I think, is a, is a wonderful service. I have found that if I do that, and if that's reciprocated and that's what the person wants, I can work with them for a long time in a lot of different capacities, and they'll keep coming back for new stuff all the time because I now am truly their advisor. I'm not just a consultant. I'm not just an option. I'm their person. I think that's the most important thing you can do to build a successful business because it's sticky, it's sustainable, it's gratifying, it's very mutual. And that's just, you know, maybe that's only important to me, but I think those are the things that most people get into business for. It's not really the money. I mean, certainly, yes, there's value there, but most people, I think, start businesses because they're trying to make something happen, something bigger. So not just an advisor, not just a consultant, but a trusted partner, a trusted advisor in that sense. And Absolutely. It's much more sustainable. If people want to learn more or utilize some of the services from NFP Indiana, what should they do next? I think go to my LinkedIn account. Brian Brunner is the best Mm -hmm. way to find me in Indiana and uh, we can link up and talk and see where it goes. Cool. All right. Well, check the show notes and we'll have Brian's LinkedIn in there. Brian, you've shared so much great insight and I really appreciate you sharing your story like this. And I also, uh, I want to say hi to your your father-in-law. So thank him from me for helping you along that way. I will do so. Really appreciate your time and, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Ben. It's been a delight. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.